Sometimes I don't like being a woman in the music business. <laughs> what I do like about it is other women. There's so many amazing female voices out there. I'm so excited I get to write for some of them. That thrills me. Hi, this is Maggie Rose. You're listening to Salute the Songbird on Osiris Media. Salute the Songbird is a platform for women in music to share their stories and let their voices be heard. And everyone has a seat at the table. everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Salute the Songbird. I'm your host, Maggie Rose. Happy New Year, everybody. I hope you had a wonderful and relaxing holiday break. 2022, I'm happy to see you. There are better times ahead. And one of those is happening right now with our guest, Natalie Hemby. Many would say, and they are correct in saying this, that she is one of the finest songwriters to ever come out of Nashville. But her artist career is equally dazzling and dynamic, and in her words, she's just getting started. The two-time Grammy Award winner has just released her second solo record, Pins and Needles, via Fantasy Records. The title track she's already performed on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. It was a great performance. She says, Pins and Needles is the record I never got the chance to make and I always wanted to. It's the late 90s sound, which is the sound of my young adult life. She's also one-fourth of the successful supergroup, The High Women. We talk about the crazy way in which she was invited to be a part of the band, which was a path that opened to her because of the songwriting contributions she had made to their debut album before even joining. We talk about her journey as an artist and a writer and all the iterations of her music that she's explored. We talk about her amazing friendships and collaborations with artists like Alicia Keys, Miranda Lambert, Yola, and of course her fellow high women, Brandi Carlisle, Amanda Shires, and Maren Morris, and what playing the role of co-writer means to her in those situations. We talk about her relationship with husband and producer Mike Ruckey, and we touch on motherhood and work-life balance. She is incredibly impressive and such a warm soul. Let's get to know Natalie Hemby. Still I keep driving past the ghost of Cairo, Illinois. It was so nice to see you for like a second at Newport Folk Fest, but... I know. Newport, I was so nervous because like when we played with the High Women, it was like such a huge deal. It was such an awesome moment. So I was sort of like, I hope people remember me. I hope people like my set. I was a little nervous during that time. But I'll tell you what, though, there's just such a, an amazing group of women out of the Newport family. And I just like, I love it so much. It's so eclectic and it's beautiful. But it also makes it this amazing big family, you know. But after that happened, it really took me a long time to come down from that. <laughs> yeah, I bet. 
Well, and you were on quite the trajectory at that point because the incentive to join the high women (laughs) part of that was the appearance at Newport with Dolly. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it wasn't, you know, the amazing voices and music of Brady Carlisle, Manish Shires and Maren Morris. It was Dolly Parton. (laughs) Right. Yeah. My point is though, it's like, honestly, Amanda, Maren and Brandy, that should have been enough. But you know what it was? It was for me, it was like, I mean, I'm not stupid. I'm like, I know how much time and energy and, you know, what is a band? I describe it as we got married and then we got to know each other. <laughs> right. We kind of did the Vegas wedding, if you will. And then we uh, went off to make that record. And then it was like, just trying to get all four of us in a room. It was just like a big, huge hurdle. But I will say making a record and going to Newport Even if that's all we ever did, that was just like the most memorable. It was so awesome. It was so fun to be a part of. And, you know, I'm the oldest one in the group. And, you know, I've played songwriter rounds, but I've never played like a place where they're cheering for you before you come on stage. I usually have to win people over. (laughs) It was just like. They were ready for you. It was so awesome. And the only thing is, is like, I don't think I would have been prepared for that moment had I been any younger or not played at all those songwriting rounds and things like that because it was very intimidating. I mean, these three girls are out on tour all the time and I just didn't know anything about it, you know? And I even look a little nervous. I'm like off to the far right of the stage. <laughs> but I'm sort of I didn't get that impression. I mean, to me, my perception is just I moved to Nashville 14 years ago. You were already writing hit songs. I know that you grew up here and you were trying to do the artist thing for a minute before you were like, kind of like, ah, this is just not the climate. It was when the music industry was literally committing suicide with piracy and just everything going on. I did. I wanted to be an artist for so many years and it just like, you know what? The doors kept shutting and the hard part about it was never like, hey, you really suck. We don't like your music. We don't like your voice. It's like people liked me. They just didn't know what to do with me. That phrase. Right? That phrase. Yeah, I've heard it so many times. I know you have. Absolutely. (laughs) But to be fair, if I'm going to be fair about it, I thought I knew what I was supposed to do with me at the time. I knew what I liked, but I didn't fit in anywhere. I just didn't, it would never take off. So I just started writing all the time. And so whenever the high women opportunity came along, you know, whenever you are, whenever you've worked so hard to try to make something happen and you, it's like dating a bad boyfriend. It's like, you've been trying to get this person to love you for all this time. And then you finally give up and you're like, I don't love them anymore. And then they're like, no way, we're ready to love you now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You just sort of be like, what? You know, it's like, why now? Why now? So whenever an opportunity like this happens to you, when you have two girls in your face going, you want to be in our band, our amazing band? I mean, honestly, I was also a little bit in disbelief. Like, I can't believe you're asking me this. You don't even know me. I write songs, but you never see me sing or perform. And now you're asking me to be in your band. So I was a little hesitant of like, I know what kind of time commitment that is. But then they told me about the Dolly and the Newport and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, Let's do this. 
But, you know, it, it is one of those things where whenever you've waited so long for things to happen and then it finally happens, you almost can't believe it or accept it in a way. And honestly, yeah, I had started Pins and Needles before the band got together and, and I just put it on the back burner. You know, I really have so much respect for you artists. Like, I am an artist, but not like you guys are. Putting this record out has brought out all these old insecurities in me again. Most people are like, you can do whatever you want. You can put out your record, but there's still this thing inside of you that <laughs> I don't care what anyone says. You want people to like it. You want people to like you. And I was so nervous the night before it came out. I just felt like I was like, well, I feel like I'm standing there naked. <laughs> do you like me? <laughs> do you like my record? But there's also this part of me that's like, I don't care if anybody likes it. I just got to do what I got to do. And this is how I work. I like to put out my own stuff and I like to write songs for other people. It's just kind of my my cycle, if you will. But I can hear that in pins and needles. There is like this old soul self-assuredness, even in your vocal delivery, like in how your voice sounds in these stories that you're telling. Like to me, it just sounds like an artist who knows herself. Give it up, don't try. I love the analogy of the ex-boyfriend <laughs> and <laughs> him coming around too late because I feel like you were allowed to figure out what you wanted and become this yes. incredibly seasoned writer. And when I moved here, I was in this vehicle of like, she needs to write with this person and get a hit. And it was terrifying. Yes. And I heard everyone's voice, but my own. So I remember you were so good though, even back then. But it is like, yeah, you get thrown into the Nashville conveyor belt of like, okay, she's a new artist. She's young and beautiful. She needs to write with so-and-so and so-and-so. It was ass backwards. And yeah. like, I feel that you've always been able to be in that lane of making the music that says and sounds the way you want it to. And with the Leanne Womack cut, with the bees having that allow you to just have access to at least the attention that you were always deserving of i mean you're able to leverage it in just a different way i can hear the bees buzzing through the walls making their honey and singing their song they say i work for the queen all day yeah i work for the queen all day my vehicle felt more manufactured and didn't serve the art. So there's pros and cons to the conveyor belt. Absolutely. You know what, though? I was in that same conveyor belt when I was young. I was going to sign a big record deal with Columbia Records, and I've been playing a lot with Tony Harrell, and I know this is a very... A lot of people in town know this little saying, but for those who don't, they say... <laughs> Tony Harrell just told me, he goes, there's four stages of her artist career. Who is Natalie Hemby? And then it's, get me Natalie Hemby. <laughs> and then it's, get me a young Natalie Hemby. And then it's, 
who is Natalie Hemby. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but honestly, I do feel like I feel really good because I'm still on the first who is Natalie Hemby. So I got all these phases to go through. <laughs> You're not going anywhere. I think <laughs> your music is so timeless. I read an article, I think in Forbes, it said you have six more records in the works. I've told them I could have. <laughs> Cause just cause I think I, maybe even more. Someone as prolific as you in your vocal delivery on Pins and Needles, on Puxico, even with the high women and you're agreeing to do that and lending amazing songs, which we didn't mention, by the way, you came to the table with Crowded Table and Redesigning Women. And then that was the catalyst to kind of get you in the room with the other women, with Marin, Brandy, and Amanda. And then that's how they eventually asked you, which is no small feat to show up with such amazing pieces of work. is this contentedness. There's the sound in your voice that shows the listener that you're like, I've got a great hand that I haven't even shown you yet. And I think that there's just a lot of beautiful snapshots that you share, not necessarily weaving a story together with each album of your own. Like I think some artists go into it and they're like, I have a color or a theme. Like you're just yeah. putting a bunch of great songs together that are sonically woven together. That's very true. They're all sonically woven, and it's my husband. Um, he's the thread. I'm so lucky to have that in my back pocket, if you will. And honestly, I would say the same maybe for your producer. You know, it's like a producer is so important in that way. They are the person who takes your candle, your light, and just turns it into a lantern, if you will. You know, it's like they magnify the song and the song experience, if you will. And if you don't have that, it's such a bummer because you can write an amazing song. If you don't have a great producer, it sucks. <laughs> right. And the other way around, too, if you don't have a great song, but you have great production, it doesn't really matter. So it just all has to go together. And I think you did a great job on your record with that as well. You know what? I also just want to talk about, too, the two of us, you know, Look, there's a lot of young people right now who are really amazing. Take even Billie Eilish right now. I genuinely loved her record. I thought it sounded sonically like something I've never heard before. And this whole whisper pop type of, there's like a chantiness to it. But also, sure. she has an insane voice. But I do think there is something to be said of being too young and not allowing enough time for young people to figure out their voice, if you will. I've known a lot of child stars who hit it big very early on. And I don't know, just because they were thrust in that spotlight, like they lost their love of the music, lost their love of the whole experience of it all. And they already feel washed up by the time they're only 26 or something. 
And I just, in a way, even though it was very heartbreaking at the time, I'm really happy it didn't happen for me because I would have been an artist during the time of when piracy was at its worst. And also, when I was trying to get a record deal, it was like you had to be on TV at the time. Oh, yeah. Now that's sort of kind of, I mean, you could still be on TV and have a record deal, but you don't have to have that anymore. I don't know. It's just such an amazing time to be able to be an artist because you do have so many different platforms to choose from. I'm not a touring artist. I would love to tour and open for some people, but Instagram and all these things have really, really helped my career because I don't have to Absolutely. do that. Absolutely. Well, so, and I think it's the curation of the listener deciding what yes. they want to hear and not feeling so bound to the playlist that the radio station in their city is playing. And that's when I was trying to break through for the first time. It was you lived and died by the success of the single. And you also weren't allowed to evolve and be fluid in genre. I mean, think about being a songwriter and having to write the same sounding or thematically similar songs all the time. I think that that's not even human. That's against human nature. That's against growth. And now it is. people are being celebrated for their malleability and their ability to do many things. Yeah. I think about stylistically, like, I mean, the record that you made now, you wouldn't have been able to make when you were younger. And you know what? It's not just you. It's like, I think about Stapleton. He put out a record right. a long time ago, but honestly, it wasn't until he started doing those records with Dave that it was like, that's his voice. It's so important to find your place and time and to find your voice. It is. It's the hardest part probably about being an artist. Absolutely. I didn't feel fully invested in my artistry until I stripped away all of that stuff. I had to kind of lose everything and become independent in order to finally ask the question, like, what do I want to do after having been here for seven plus years at that point? And luckily that was a renewing feeling, but I felt kind of angry at all the time lost, the creative time lost for my evolution and like what I could have been doing to do more soul searching. And you only get one beginning. And I think that that idea and concept is changing now. Oh yeah. You get lots of beginnings. You, all you have to do is go away for a minute and then like come back and you got a new audience. <laughs> right. Like, right. People have such a short attention span. But I do think like there's such a resilience, though, the fact that you do come back. Like, honestly, I so relate to you in that way as far as I just feel like I've reinvented myself several times. I went through a phase where, (laughs) let's see, I went through a Lana's Morissette phase where I was angry and I wrote rock songs and everybody, I was dark and mysterious. Then I also (laughs) went through a Sarah McLachlan phase where they were all piano songs and Then I went through a stage where I was like, well, maybe I need to be sort of like country cool play. (laughs) Nice. And really what it came back down to is like, no, I'm so steeped in like 90s rock. I can't help myself. I love Tom Petty. I love Sheryl Crow. I love all that stuff. So (laughs) 
and Mike Rucky, your husband, you guys share similar musical tastes. So I also think a producer's job is to essentially be a translator, say, this yeah. is a song I wrote, but I need you to now help me with the arrangement and bring it to life. Totally. Isn't that such an advantage to have someone who knows you so intimately also be your producer? For me, it is mostly prose. I mean, we totally have fought in the studio, but then there's times where I was like, okay, we got to get this vocal. We can't fight. I will say Mike and I, we fell in love over music and we used to go driving around listening to music and we have these songs that we would listen to and we fell in love with and fell in love with each other. I just feel like we do that too on records. Like I really am impressed by, I love his production. I mean, if he ever left me, I would still be like, you're doing my record still, but um, <laughs> he'll never leave me though. Cause I'll kill him. But, um, and I, I really always want to try to be a very genuine person in everything that I do. And I genuinely love my husband's production. It suits your music so well. It's fantastic. Thank you so much. He's insanely talented and he's 49. Like he's been doing this a long time, but we get our kicks, man. Like be like, oh my gosh, you got to hear this. I came with this really great one thing, you know, <laughs> we're like kids. That's so awesome. Especially during the pandemic. I'm sure that it was wonderful to have a creative partner under the same roof to keep those creative juices flowing and yeah. stay excited about music when we didn't know what was going to happen. And exactly. not to be a, a Debbie Downer, but you also were dealt with the blow of not getting to tour this amazing record that you had made with the high women. And yeah. speaking of new beginnings, I think that that's something that hopefully we can all look forward to, even if it's years down the road. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. We never got to do that tour and it was sort of like a doggone it. <laughs> yeah. But also, it was really hard to be so sulky about it because there was just a lot of bad things happening in the world. So the good news is that we can come back to it if we want, you know. It feels like a living and breathing movement. Like it doesn't just feel like a band and an album. I think there was such a great conversation that had begun, but was intensified by you guys visually representing what we needed to have change in Nashville, specifically at country radio. There's a lot of women around this town and others who feel like I'm a high woman now. I have this cause and care being taken into addressing the inequity, the bullshit. Well, you know what? It is a movement of sorts. And like the highwaymen, there is openness to having different members come in and out. And 
I love that idea. I like that it's bigger than us, really. I think Marin said it the best. It's not that we want more. We just want the same, you know? Mm-hmm. Equal, fair right. treatment in music. With Mike, back to your, your husband, wife, producer, artist relationship, yes. I feel like one of the biggest advantages would be having my producer just be like, let's cut the shit. You need to do this again, or that's not good enough, or just really pushing in a way that I know my husband does for me. He's in the managerial yeah. realm of things, but- yes. Still, he calls me on those moments where I know I'm cutting corners. Oh, for sure. For us, it's the records that we grew up listening to that we loved. These records were not made in a couple months. These records were made in like a year. So Mike, we have a studio here at our house. Well, he comes down in his jammies and like he'll come up with some new guitar parts <laughs> to something. And then he'll play it for me and I'll be like, I mean, I kind of like it. Or I'll be like, oh my gosh, I love it. If I don't like something he does, I can tell him. Where sometimes when you work with producers, now it just depends on who they are. But some producers are very touchy though. If you try to be right. like, I don't really like this part. I'm sorry. You know? Oh yeah. It's just, it's a, <laughs> you're thinking of so many emotions and you're also paying attention to every little note that's being laid down and you're thinking about your lyrics and your performance and don't want to offend all the players. Like it's just, oh, that's it the beauty of it too. But having yeah. <laughs> a producer who can help kind of quell all of those anxieties and read your mind a little bit too. I feel like that yeah. would be such an advantage. Also, it's an advantage for Mike. Like he could probably play you a solo that he just played and you'd be like, I love it. Let's do that. He'd be like, no, it's still something wrong. I, it needs this. But I just give him that space to do that. Where sometimes right. when you work with artists, they want their stuff pretty soon and I get it. But I just give them lots of space and time and patience because I know it's going to be good. Did you make this whole record in your home studio? We did. We made it all here and... My husband played almost everything on it. He got Dan Needham to come play drums on a couple of songs. Dan plays with Michael McDonald. Dan has been yeah. in Nashville for years. He's an amazing drummer. And then he got, we have a longtime friend, our favorite guy, <laughs> Greg Lease is, he's the steel that's in um, Where Have All the Cowboys Gone? Paula Cole, that's him yeah. playing. Ryan Adams, he was in Pariah Dogs with uh, Ray LaMontagne. And then we wanted to get Chuck Lavelle. He has played with the Rolling Stones. He is from Georgia, and he came and played on It Takes One, and he played B3. I just love that approach where you have to sit down with the song and the album and really try to pick out people like, this person would be great to play on this part. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Love what you said about having no timeline because you're as productive as any artist. You've put two solo albums out in recent years and you've also made the High Women Project and you've written tons of hits with other artists. Shouldn't probably say this, but I'm going to say it, but I spent a lot of time with Alicia Keys and I have some songs on her new record, but one of the songs we wrote, there's a line in it. It says, you got to put a lot of time in Timeless. And it's true. You got to like, sometimes you can eke out something really quick. But honestly, though, if you really care and love it and you want it to be great, you got to put that timing into it. You know what I mean? Well, one thing that I love about Pins and Needles is the fact that you have historically written some artists' best songs, helped them write them or written them for them. On this record, you have artists like Miranda Lambert, who's your buddy, writing songs with you for your record. And your title track you wrote with Brothers Osborne and ended up putting it on your record with their permission. And I think that that's just really awesome. But there was this one quote that I read in Pitchfork. It says, Hemby, married to producer Mike Ruckey, projects the confidence of an artist who understands how collaboration with equals rebounds to the credit of the top billed person. <laughs> and I read it over and over again because I was like, not sure what it was saying until I realized just how this is your turn. You're the top billed person on this record. It's that self-assuredness that we're talking about with your performance, just knowing that all that other shit doesn't matter. The meritocracy in the room becomes apparent when you're, when you're writing a song with someone. We're all equals. The thing is, when you write a song, if I write a song with you, that song is just as much yours as... Even if I bring in the idea to you, that's just as much yours as it is mine. And the thing about it is, is that that is what co-writing is. It's a coming together of ideas. And here's a great example. I wrote Stand For Myself with Yola. She had a lot of that mapped out. She took it to Dan and I. But you know what? When she sang that, that song felt just as much mine because the lines that struck me were, it was easier to sing than Stand For Myself. How many times have I been there and you've been there where we could impress people with our talent, but that was how we got what we wanted, not because we were like standing up for ourselves saying, this is what I want, this is what I need. Why aren't you giving this to me? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying my conversation with the delightful Natalie Hemby. Isn't her laugh just like sunshine? Makes me very happy when I listen back to it. But I kind of committed one of those cardinal sins. I consider it to be a bit of a faux pas, just 
within the industry being like, hey, are you doing the artist thing? Because I asked Natalie that in some form of a question early on in the conversation. And the reason I don't like it is this, because she is the epitome of an artist. She's always been doing the artist thing. But what that question usually means is, are you doing the show pony whole like exhibitionist kind of going through the ringer kind of bullshit that is expected of artists? Are you serving yourself up on a platter to the powers that be, AK radio, blah, blah, blah. She is an artist, but she is also going through a different approach now by releasing solo records and doing it in such a vulnerable way. She even said that it's one of those things that when you're doing this kind of pursuit, dredges up a lot of those insecurities that artists are kind of forced to face all the time when they're putting themselves out there. But whatever being an artist means to you is valid. And I think that she's someone who's always digging deeper to find out who that artist is within her. That's why she talks about all these different sounds that she's cycled through throughout her career. And I think that that's authentic and noble and wonderful. So we're all doing the artist thing just in our own way. And uh, she's a great person as an example to look to for what an artist really is. I wrote all these songs with all these different people on this record, but I did have to try them on kind of like clothes, you know? I knew Heroes was a great song for my voice because I have a very low register and I do the whole talky, singy thing pretty well. But, you know, I didn't know if New Madrid, if I could sing a song like that. Heroes, I love how quirky it is and fun. And I think that I know you get asked this a lot. People are like, well, you're with your heroes all the time. How does that feel? It's this idea of sort of what that pitchfork quote is about. Just existing and knowing your worth in a sea of just a lot of really talented people who we have identifying factors. The, who yeah. is Natalie Hemby? Who is Maggie Rose kind of vibe? Like, why are those questions cycling through the way that they are? But I love the sentiment of that song. And oh, thank you. I think the tongue in cheek aspect is great. I think heroes, I think capes, chasing villains, stop trains, half incredible, half insane. Uh huh. What if Superman, he could have lied and Spider Man, he couldn't climb? What if they're just like you and I? I love tongue-in-cheek. I miss tongue-in-cheek, and I miss swagger, and, like, I miss that about some music. Like, I feel like it's missing a little bit these days. I feel like you have it, though, for sure. Oh, my gosh. I just, like, these little quirky things, I just so gravitate to that stuff of what makes an artist. It's almost like, you know, why we loved Prince, because he'd be like, ah, you know. (laughs) Right, yeah, yeah. It's not a lyric, but it... Definitely makes you feel something. Yeah.
New Madrid. My husband's from Sykeston, Missouri. So, Shut up. Yes. And I loved how that connected to Puxico and the Southeast Missouri, <sighs> Illinois, just everything along that. Thank you for noticing that. that. Well, you know what? That was the song, you know, whenever you do records. I mean, you could do whatever you want when you make a record. But I was trying to tie it over. Like, I was like, I wrote a very sentimental record about my grandparents about their hometown so I was trying to tie that over in such a way to pins and needles and to me the bridge was New Madrid the idea the sound sonically it sounded like it could have been still on Puxico that song more songs I want to talk about on Pins and Needles. I really loved Radio Silence. I listened to a great interview where you talked about that actually being inspired by a friendship and just trying to balance your time and maintain it. Yeah, you know, I don't think any of us really try to set out to be a bad friend, but sometimes when you're going through a lot, you can accidentally hurt people's feelings and not mean to. And I do think there's a lot of people who deal with things differently. And my life was very, very out of balance. And I was having a rough time. And Rosie kept reaching out, and I just didn't call her back. And finally, I did after about three months. I apologized and told her I would never do it again. But she was like, I want to write a song with you called Radio Silence. And for me, I felt like it was like my punishment. So I was like, okay. A lot of people have reached out to me about that song just because, especially this last year, a lot of broken relationships and friendships. And I don't know. It's like life's too short to be mad at people forever. And you just you have to forgive them. It was a good timing for that song. I know the newest song that you wrote on this record was Pinwheel. You wrote that with Madison Kozak. Mm-hmm. I love her. I did. I do too. She's great. And Barry Dean. Yep. They came over and um, it was one of those days where it was like, what do we want to write? And I was like, well, I don't know what's going to happen with it, but if you want, I need one more song for my record. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it and I hate it.
I just needed something to embody everything that I'm trying to say. And a lot of that was like, it is the dizzying colors of everything that's been going on the last 12 years. It's been amazing. It's been nerve wracking. It's been exciting. It's disappointing. You know, it's like, it's just right. been a pinwheel of all the different experiences of the music business, if you will. How does your daughter feel about just the pace at which your life has picked up? Actually, she loves it. She loves music. She actually loves Whitney Houston. <laughs> that a girl. She loves Journey and like ACDC. <laughs> I mean, she does not. Some she singers. Likes yeah. She likes singers. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm not kidding. But the thing about it was when she was younger, it was, I don't care what anyone says. You know, you have this mom guilt if you're working all the time. And she's proud of mom, but, you know, probably wished I was around a little bit more back in the day. I just try to be present when I'm there. You know, I've also explained to her, we do not have a normal life at all. <laughs> like there's nothing. Right. There's going to be times where I'm going to be with you a ton. And there's going to be times where I'm going to be working. So it's just that's how it is. You have to try to balance all of it. And it sounds like you have a good hold on what balancing means to you as far as friends, family, music, just giving yourself a break, retreating, putting things on the back yeah. burner when they need to be put there. Yeah. I love your song with the high women, only child. It feels like a love letter to all the mothers out there, regardless of how many children they have, how many children they want. And I just think it's absolutely beautiful. Can you share with us what was yeah. the inspiration? I always thought I'd have two kids. I mean, we have all these expectations of ourselves, and some of them are expectations, some of them are dreams. You know, I thought I dreamed of two children. And after I had Sammy Joe, it was just like everything was happening at once. And our lives, honestly, I have a friend who has, she's got four kids, and I said, you have a lot of kids and my kid is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the deal. I wanted another child and it started dawning on me that that is probably not going to happen. And Sammy Joe would always ask for a brother or sister. She asked me one time, she said, do you need to eat something? How can I get a brother or sister? She had no idea, you right. know? And so I started going through all her clothes and I would start crying because Everything with the only child is a first and last moment. And they always say, well, it goes by so fast. Well, it really does. It goes by really fast. You only have 18 years with your kid if you're lucky. So I just started writing the song and I went to Miranda's house. We were writing for her record, but I was really upset. And I played her the first couple of lines that I wrote and it was... Had a brother who had blue eyes just like you. And I know you wish you had a sister you could tell your secrets to. Maybe we. 
Then she said, maybe we'll miss having four sets of china at the table. And I just wow. boo-hooed. I was like, And I also had a glass of wine. Yeah. Right, yeah. I did. So it was just like, it is a love letter. And I've had a lot of letters from moms who've written me and been like, I thought I was going to have another one. This song is so healing to me. And I've also had only children write to me and be like, you know, I never saw it from that perspective. And to me, that's great art is when you've touched the soul of a lot of people, you know? What's your favorite thing about being a woman in the industry? Wow, that's a really hard question. <laughs> I mean, I have some really it's, catty answers. <laughs> it's not meant to be like a gotcha, but I do find that it's it's a hard question when it comes out of nowhere. Yeah, because sometimes I don't like being a woman in the music business. <laughs> sure. What I do like about it is other women. There's so many amazing female voices out there that I'm just like, I'm so excited I get to write for some of them, you know? That thrills me. To me, that's the best part is like being able to work with other amazing women. Well, everybody, that is a wrap. You can keep up with Natalie on her socials at Natalie Hemby and make sure to give her brand new record, Pins and Needles, a listen. Give it several listens. And to keep up with me, my music, and my touring calendar, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at I am Maggie Rose. We had a great time with you in 2021 on the Have a Seat Tour. I was very sad that we had to cancel our last three shows due to the Omicron variant, but we want to keep everybody safe. So we'll be rescheduling those. And we have some other tour dates that we're going to be throwing up on the calendar very soon for 2022. A lot of exciting stuff ahead. Keep up with me also on With The Band, where you can get exclusive Salute The Songbird content along with new music, live stream concerts, and more. Salute the Songbird is brought to you by Osiris Media, hosted by Maggie Rose, produced by Austin Marshall, Maggie Rose, Kirsten Cluthy, and Brad Stratton, editing by Justin Thomas at Revoice Media, music by Maggie Rose, show logo by Premier Music Group, graphics by Catherine Boyles. Please subscribe to Salute the Songbird on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast content. And if you like the show, recommend it to a friend or leave us a review so that others can join the conversation. Thanks for listening, and to close out the show, here's the title track from Natalie Hemby's latest, Pins and Needles.
Osiris.